0: Hi everyone, it's The Freelancers Show, and today I'm talking to myself. (laughs) I'm doing a solo episode for you guys. It's just me here, Petra Manos, and I thought rather than waste the opportunity when um, people couldn't make it today, I would chat to you about setting up your landing pages.
1: Leveling up is important. I spend at least an hour every day learning ways I can improve my business or take a break and listen to a good book. If you're looking to level up, I recommend you start out with the 12-week year as a system to plan out where you want to end up and how to get the results you want. You can get it free by going to audibletrial.com code. That's audibletrial.com slash code.
0: Now, this is a topic that always comes back to haunt people that are solo, solo business owners in particular because it's one of those areas that no one's ever really taught us how to design pages on our website that are going to convert into customers. We just hope for the best and there's a lot of trial and error and it can be really painful at the beginning because we, we start this this business. And we assume that customers are just going to find us. They're going to come. And then we see that they're coming to our website, but no one's contacting us. What's going on? And for me, this was something, it took many iterations of my website before I started to really see people subscribing to my newsletter. And I was frustrated. I I didn't really know what was going on. Turns out there are quite a few different reasons why people won't subscribe And when they're sorted out, then people do typically stay longer, read your content, subscribe to things, look into your offers. Once you've got these things sorted out, those things do actually happen, believe it or not. Hey, you do also need to have some traffic. So when you sort out your landing page, you're not going to magically start getting customers unless you have the right kinds of people coming to your website. So the traffic portion is huge if you're going to be doing online marketing rather than offline where you're going out to networking groups, et cetera, then you really need to have a source of quality prospects coming to your website, not just any old person. They need to be the type of person that you want to be your customer. But that aside, let's talk about these Mistakes that I see people over and over doing with their landing pages. Now, I see this now with my clients. I mainly specialize in Google ads for e commerce businesses. I really love working with e commerce businesses and I get them a great return on ad spend. But every now and then, I do have a consultant or freelancer reach out to me, and for some reason, I want to work with that particular person. And usually the, or typically the, the issues that occur on these clients' accounts is due to the landing page not performing. So mistake number one is landing pages that are too short. Now, actually, before we even talk about this, let me just tell you what I mean by a landing page because if you're scratching your head here saying, well, hang on a minute, what exactly is the landing page? When I say a landing page, I'm talking about any page on your website that is getting traffic to it. So it might be your homepage, but then if if you're doing what is quite popular these days, which is the content marketing strategy, you probably have other pages on your website that people are coming to. So you might be doing a blog or you might be doing a podcast or maybe you have, maybe you have videos embedded onto your website or maybe you are selling courses or you have an ebook or anything like this. Any pages that you are promoting or that people are sharing or that people are finding or that are getting good organic traffic and that Google is organically sending people to is a landing page. Now, in the, in the olden days, people used to just land on the homepage because they would go direct. But now that we have, now that basically every page on the internet is being crawled by Google and other search engines, you can expect that pretty much any page on your website could be a landing page unless you have specifically set it to be not crawlable or not indexable by a search engine. So just think about basically every page on your website is a landing page, some more so than others. You can look at your Google Analytics to see which pages are getting the most traffic and maybe just look at your top 10 pages and think of those as your landing pages for now. So back to our thing. So I was saying that one of the biggest problems is landing pages that are too short Now, let me explain this. So, when someone lands on your website, if they are going to be a prospect for you rather than just someone who's randomly reading, this person wants to know more about you and the services that you offer before they're willing to put up their hand and say, Hey, I'm a prospect. People these days are more researchers than buyers so before the internet you'd have salespeople who would be informing customers about what the service entails these days not so much people don't really want to speak to a salesperson what they want to do is they want to do their own research they want to talk to their friends they want to read about it they want to watch videos they want to do all of the information gathering to decide what it is that they're planning to do and then they just want to contact the service provider and say, hey, I'm interested. What's your price? What are the terms? What are your strategies for me? Basically, how does it become, how does it go from being a generic service that I've read about on your website to a me-focused service? What, what's in it for me? So unless you provide all of the background information that someone could use to make that decision about the generic side of your service. No one will be, or I shouldn't say no one, that's absolutes, but a large proportion of the prospects coming to your website won't feel comfortable putting up their hand to say, what's the next step? If they don't feel like they've been able to complete their research. So they'll go and complete their research somewhere else and if they find another service provider who they think has done a better job of explaining it or they feel more comfortable with then they'll put up their hand over on that person's website instead. So you don't want to have landing pages that are too short. If anything you want to err on the side of long and people won't necessarily read everything especially if they're not ready to buy yet. But I tell you what, the people that are ready will read and read and read or watch your videos. They will consume whatever you put out and they will consume it in mass because they're getting ready to make a purchase of something. And especially if you're a service provider, your services probably aren't cheap. Or if they are, we're still talking about multiple hours of work usually for something to be done and so even if even if you're not charging a lot on an hourly rate you might still be you know at a cost for that person once your services are added up in aggregate. So what we want to do is now you don't necessarily have to have all the information on one page but if, no matter where someone lands on your website you need to make sure there's enough information on there that they could feel comfortable to complete their research into working with you. Now, that wouldn't necessarily all be on one page, but again, if you have menus and things, you need to make sure that they're easy for someone to transition from whatever page they land to into finding out more about you. So the about us pages need to be really easy to access. And also if you hover over them with your mouse, you don't want it to pop up with like a sub menu that has nothing to do with what they're interested in. So let's say, let's say, I don't know. I can't think of something off the top of my head. All right. So let's say you're a digital marketer and you also I don't know, you you also sell pillows. (laughs) Stupid example, (laughs) I know. (laughs) But you sell pillows as a hobby. Now, if you have an about us page and if if your if your menu is set up so that you mouse over your menu and you have submenus pop up, you don't want it to pop up saying about our pillows when they hover over the about us page. If your website is primarily about your digital marketing services. Because what will happen is subconsciously someone will think, oh, if I click on this, I'm going to see information about pillows. I'm not going to see information about the actual business. And this can, this can be a real problem because a lot of these menus, they're set up so that if you click the main link, like if you click on the actual title, it'll take you to one page. But then if you hover over it, it comes up with a sub menu and so people can think that whatever is in the sub menu is what they're actually being taken to i know that's not true but it it's about what the experience is for the person using it so i've actually got a client like this they manage hotels and i told them to change their website a little because they had a menu across the top and it had contact us or about us and when someone hovered over it it had information for prospective employees pop up. Now they were wanting to have hotels contact them for management services and a hotel manager who was investigating management services doesn't want to hover over that menu and then think, oh, this is only for prospective employees. So that all got fixed up. But yeah, just check your menus to make sure that's not happening for you, especially the About Us and the Contact Us pages. really important. All right, so we've talked about landing pages that are too short. Now, you might say, well, how short is too short? Now, it's okay to have a short landing page if it's essentially a... So there's a type of landing page called a squeeze page. And a squeeze page is when you essentially just ask for someone's email address and they're going to get an offer of some sort. Now that's fine, but they need to have a good reason why they're going to give you their email address. So the offer that you are giving to them needs to be really compelling or really interesting. I guess that's compelling too. And so you can get away with a short landing page in that instance, but in any other instance, you want to err on the end of towards having too much information Not too much information in in the sense of going into too much details on your topic. That's irrelevant. But you want to err on the side of having a lot of benefit-driven copy on there. And when I say copy, for people that aren't in marketing, that basically means whatever the text is on the page. You want to have a lot of benefits in there for them. And you want to be able to mention problems that they might be facing and whether that be a blog post or whether that be you know a video or just your contact us page if there are benefits or pain points that your customers have that you haven't addressed on the page that you're sending people to barring a squeeze page you want to try and get more of those benefits and pain points in there so that if someone is still reading that they can continue to read. Also you want to put lots of testimonials at the bottom. If you have testimonials, you can make your landing pages as long as you want. You can literally have a hundred testimonials at the bottom and I guarantee you there will be someone, most likely a prospective customer that will read every one of them. So you can never have too many testimonials or endorsements. All right, so let's move on to the next thing. So other than landing pages that are too short, the next mistake that I see is landing pages that are too boring, and this is where essentially you think that everything that comes out of your mouth is really interesting because you're interested in the topic and you know when I say come out of your mouth, there might also be you know in writing, obviously on the web, but you think that what you're writing about is really interesting, but the problem is your prospect is They are looking for a service provider because they are not already an expert in the topic. And if you talk about too much jargon and if you don't explain your terms and if you don't personalize it in any way and make it relatable to them, then it's just going to come across as a whole lot of jargon-based waffle. So this is something that is so easy to do when you are a freelancer. Seriously, I have fallen into this mistake many times myself. Hopefully you guys aren't listening to this saying, Hey, I'm bored now. (laughs) I really hope not. But this is really something that I've fallen into mistake of so many times because I love to be helpful. I love to provide advice to others. And I really, really want to give people information that is helpful. But I I read a a book recently. It was called How to Sell Without Selling by Terry Dean. I'll um, I'll grab the link to it later. And he calls a particular type of content constipated content. And I actually thought that was a reasonable term. What he's saying is if you just stuff a whole lot of goodness in there in terms of information that you think is really fantastic information that someone needs to know, but you don't make it personable and you don't include stories, then sorry, it's yawn worthy. So constipated content is what what he calls it. Now, so this, this goes for pretty much any topic. So you could be, I don't know, a beekeeping consultant. And if you just write in a lot of detail about all the technical jargon about beekeeping, unless you're selling a course on beekeeping, the p- type of person reading about that probably doesn't actually, maybe a consultant isn't the best the best idea because maybe that person does want to know everything about beekeeping. That was probably a bad example. But let's say you're actually selling a service in beekeeping on behalf of a farmer. And again, I know I'm coming up with crazy examples. I like to do the crazy ones because that way no particular group feels singled out. <laughs> So all right so you're you're selling a service where you're doing beekeeping on behalf of a farmer you do the beekeeping for them the farmer just hires you and you create a whole lot of honey for them now the the farmer that comes to your website doesn't want to know every little detail about beekeeping they want to know about who you are and why you're the right person for them to hire and what makes you different and you know, some quirky stories, maybe about the different adventures you've had in beekeeping and they want to know about how you've helped other farmers to make a whole lot of honey and those are the types of things that they're going to want to know. They don't want to know the technical jargon about your craft because they'll read about it and go, oh my goodness, this is a slog. Certainly, unless you have stories in there. So you do need to be really careful not to have landing pages that are too boring. And so when I say boring is basically they they're too much technical jargon, not really benefits driven, they don't have any stories in them. They um just walls of text and going into too many details that aren't necessarily relevant for the stage that a person is in before they become your customer now I don't know if I need to talk anymore about boring but I think we'll just move on so now the the third thing that I see which is a real mistake is landing pages that don't give an opportunity for people to share them now if you see uh A lot of the blogs that are professional blogs, you will see without fail share buttons all over them. So there'll be share buttons down the side, there'll be share buttons under every post. Sometimes you'll have share buttons on every picture. There'll be lots of share buttons, there'll be share buttons at the top, there'll be share buttons at the bottom. So the reason for this is we want to encourage people to share our content because when people share it, then new people come because you're now putting a link out on the internet. Someone's going to click on that link and come back to your website. Also, if someone liked your page and if they were the right type of person for you to reach out to, like attracts like. And so this person most likely hangs out with other people who are like them. And so the person who likes your content is likely to Know other people who would also like your content. So you want them to share it. The other thing is that Google and other search engines, they feel more confident about sending people to your website if there are lots of links back to your website. So if you encourage people to share your website, then they'll say, hey, this particular page has been shared 200 times. It must be pretty good. And then when someone searches, for a service provider on the topic that you're writing about or talking about in your, on your landing page, then Google will be more likely to rank yours towards the top because they have confidence in the fact that people have shared your content. So what you want to do is just get yourself a plugin. So one that I use all the time, it's called share this and I'll, I'll share a link to that one as well. So it's called Share This. It's just a bit of JavaScript. You just put it in on your website. You put it in your header code so that it goes onto every page. And it's got different options for you can have something goes on the left or the right or under your content. or Like there's a whole lot of different options. Honestly, just set up everything unless it clutters up your page for some reason. Just make it really shareable.
1: When I first started taking computer science classes in college, I thought programming was just a joke. In fact, I changed my major over to engineering and started doing computer engineering and chip design. Then I found Ruby and I fell in love. I love Ruby. It was my first real programming language where I dove deep and really learned how to make software that makes a difference for other people. Since then, and the way that we got started with devchat.tv, we started a show called Ruby Rogues. It's currently in the 400s of episodes. We've talked to hundreds of people in the Ruby community about the Ruby community about the Ruby programming language, about Rails, and about what makes good programming. So if you're interested in Ruby Rogues or you just want to hear a long series of experienced programmers talking about real problems, then go check out rubyrogues.com.
0: One trick that I like to do as well, if you want to have more social proof, having it actually say how many people have shared it is great if you can get shares. Now, something that I like to do with Google Ads is I will share... I will send a particular landing page that I want to promote to a third world country before a Western audience because these share buttons, they don't say what country someone was from when they shared them. So interestingly enough, I found that people in Ethiopia really like to share content. So I've been having a success rate of 25% of all the traffic that I bring in from Ethiopia ends up sharing something. It's insane. So so if you want to boost up that share number a bit, you can do that for it's literally a cent to a cent to pay per click for someone to come in from Ethiopia, for example. And you get quite a lot lot of share numbers. Now they're gonna bring in more people that are like they're not going to necessarily bring in a Western audience. However, it still impacts Google's ranking to some degree if you've got lots of links coming in. And the main thing that that does is it gives someone a social proof that your content is good. So let's say you're actually selling a course or you've got some kind of offer that you're wanting to tell someone about. If they come to the website and they see several hundred shares then it already gives them the confidence that what you have to offer is good and the uh, what I find is that if you if you advertise to a third world country like I described in it rarely do they actually sign up so they're not actually signing up for anything they'll just share your content so it's funny that they'll do that but you can you, you can essentially just get those shares, but then the the people that in the communities that you want to reach out to, they will see that as social proof because they will assume that it's been you know several hundred shares from people just like them. All right so so next up, after sharing, now these aren't in particular order in terms of any one mistake is worse than any other. They're just kind of in the order that I came up with. But the next one that I jotted down is landing pages that don't have an obvious way to contact you or take the next step. Now, that probably should have been a bit higher up on my list if we were doing it by priority. But this is a real big problem. So I actually, I've got a client at the moment who has this issue on their website. They they are a bespoke architecture firm. So they, they specialise in really beautiful green living type accommodation. And they've got beautiful pictures on their website of different houses that they've designed over the years. Now, if someone lands on one of those pages, they see all of these beautiful houses, but their website design maybe had been designed to be a little bit modern or I don't know exactly what, it basically just has their logo on one side and then a hamburger on the other side. And you need to intuitively know that if you want to contact the firm, you've got to click on their logo to take you to a page that gives you their contact information. So I reached out to their marketing firm and said, Look, we really need to fix this website. We're going to be sending traffic to these pages. We can't assume that the person who is looking at these pictures. Is knows to take the next step of clicking on this little obscure logo on the top corner when they're already down the bottom. They're just going to look at the pictures and go, oh, that was nice. And they're going to move on if there's no way to contact the company next. So when it comes to contact information, you need to think about how people actually like to contact you. This isn't about what you prefer, this is about what your customers prefer. So if you're targeting, People that are normally then they're, they're used to being on their phone all the time, just provide a phone number unless you really don't want to take phone calls. But you could always get, you know, a receptionist to take the calls or even a remote receptionist. If people want to call you, just let them call you. If you look, if you've got people that are comfortable with using forms, and not everybody is, you can't assume that everybody wants to do a form, but if you've got people that are comfortable with filling out forms, then put a form on any page where someone might be reading it before signing up for your service. If you get a website template that literally has the form on pretty much every page, then no one needs to hunt around for how to contact you if they're ready to go. Now, if you are not going straight for the contact, if you're going for like a lead magnet type thing where you're giving away a bit of free information prior to someone becoming your customer, Well, that's fine as well. I mean, people will provide you their email address for that. Make sure that it's available on every page. So one thing that I do is, so I use WordPress for my blog and I create a whole lot of short codes that take people to all of my different lead magnets. And I know that what you should do is do like a relevant content upgrade from any particular piece of content. But to be honest, I haven't had enough time to really optimize my website in that way. So what I did was I just got a a developer to create me one shortcode that would randomize all of the shortcodes that I had created. And then what I do is when I create a blog post, I just put my random shortcode in the blog post, wherever I want a call to action, and it will promote one of my like course pages or lead magnet pages. And if it's relevant for them, then they'll click through to that. So that's one way to do it. You can have a contact form or a lead magnet or whatever. You can just litter it throughout your pages. You don't want someone to get all the way to the bottom of your page and then not know how to reach out to you or how to subscribe or anything like that. Now, if you use a pop up that comes when someone lands on your page, don't make the pop up turn up seconds or immediately when they land on your website because the first instinct that someone has is to shut down these pop-ups. And so the last thing that you want to do is have someone shut down your pop-up and then not know how to reach out to you. So if you're going to use a pop-up, make a pop-up after someone's been reading for at least 15 seconds and provide alternative ways for people to contact you. Don't hide it in some invisible menu that people can't really see. Make sure that it's on every page and that it's very visible and dotted throughout anything that someone might be reading. Alrighty. Next one is no remarketing tags installed. And actually I'm going to combine this one with the one after that that I've jotted down, which is no conversion tracking installed. So if someone comes to your website, let's say that this person is exactly the type of person that you want as your customer. The last thing that you want, is for them to come to your website going, oh, I'd love to work with with this service provider. This sounds fantastic, but I'm just not ready now. So I will come back when I'm ready and then they leave. Now, when you have that happen, you have a missed opportunity. Now That happens all the time, but you have a missed opportunity because they didn't contact you. They didn't put up their hand and say, hey, I love what you're doing. I'm just not ready now. So you don't know that about them. They just turned up and then left. The last thing that you want is to not be able to ever contact that person again. Now, for the majority of people out there that are online marketing that haven't learned about remarketing and tracking yet, I'd say a lot of freelancers are in that boat because let's face it, we're just super busy. You have a situation where all these people are coming to your website and they're just going, and you, you don't even know who they are. You just assume, really, that there's not a lot of relevant prospects looking at your website just because they're not reaching out to you. But that's not the case. It's just that they're doing, they're in their research mode and they figure they'll just reach out to you when they're ready. But the problem is, they might forget about you. They don't remember your name. They don't remember how to get back to your website. They, you know, they, they might be searching for you later and they just don't recall who you are. And then when they're ready, they'll search around and they'll find some other service provider and they'll say, Hey, this is good enough. And they'll go with someone else. You don't want that to happen. So what you need to do is you need to put tags on your website. One is for remarketing and you can do remarketing with Google analytics. So really you only need one tag. here. You can put Google analytics on your website. Conversion tracking. I mentioned as well, conversion tracking is basically identifying if they did put up their hand or not so that you can find out which traffic source they came from. But if we talk about the remarketing, if you have Google Analytics on your website, in the admin section of Google Analytics, there's a, a menu option called Audiences. If you go into Audiences, there you, can have, you can add remarketing audiences in there and you can link it automatically with Google Ads. But if you're advertising on Facebook, then, or if Facebook is where you would normally go, then you can add what's called a Facebook pixel. And a Facebook pixel is, it's again, it's a little bit of code. So you'd have to have that in addition to Google Analytics. You can usually add a plugin or something, or you can just add the code to your header, like I was talking about before. And and that will enable you to remarket on Facebook. So it doesn't really matter if you remarket on Google or you remarket remarket on Facebook, as long as you do it, essentially. It doesn't cost much at all. So when it comes to, so I know more about the price when it comes to Google, since I'm providing Google services. But when it comes to the remarketing, I'll typically be paying between 10 to 70 cents per click to, for someone from my remarketing audience to click back to the website and but there's a there's when it comes to remarketing the the invisible thing that's happening it it doesn't really matter in fact you don't want people to click (laughs) what you want them to do is you want them to just remember that you exist and then when they're ready to go ahead it's kind of like email so it's like an email newsletter when they're ready to go ahead they go right now I'm ready I know exactly how to get back to that website. All I've got to do is click on on this or what they'll probably do actually is they've seen your name all the time. So they just type in your name into Google and and they're ready to go. Or they they really liked you. They're not ready to go ahead yet, but they think you're the bee's knees. So, oh, we're talking about bees again. (laughs) They think that you're amazing. So they will refer someone to you. And then you have people coming to your website. They just contact you straight away and they say, we're ready to go ahead. Um, we've read your website, we've been referred to you by such and such. Can you tell me your terms and your prices? And that's great because then all you need to do is, you know, talk to them a bit more about what they want, find out whether that's what you're happy to do and sign on the dotted line. And then you have money coming in, which is nice. So with that type of situation, you want to be in front of people all the time that are good prospects for you. And a good way to do that is just to share helpful content. It doesn't need to be promotional. It can just be helpful. But once you have that remarketing tag installed, you can do that. You can just share helpful information on Facebook or in Google display and just tell the platform to send it to your remarketing list. And you can pretty much set and forget it as long as you've got you know, helpful content. You don't want to spam someone over and over with the same thing. So just mix it up a bit and and let it go. Because your remarketing list isn't, it, it, we're only talking about a small number of people that have come to your website. So it's not really going to cost you very much. It, it might cost you, I don't know, a few tens of dollars a month when you first start out. It, Yeah, it's really effective and it works fantastic. So just do it definitely do remarketing. So I mentioned conversion tracking briefly. Essentially, if you have people contacting you on your website, if you install some conversion tracking, you can find out which marketing source they came from. So it's a good idea to do so. Otherwise, you, you're you kind of left in the dark about which traffic source led to a conversion. Now, on the other hand, when it comes to service providers like us, most service providers get business from word of mouth. So the actual source of a conversion doesn't really matter as much for a service provider. I must admit the conversion tracking isn't really as important because nine times out of 10, the person that signs up with you has been referred from their friend and their friend was either a customer of yours or they have been they, they like what you do, they follow you on social media or read your blog or whatever it is and then they refer to someone. So most of the time, your customers probably come in from a direct contact rather than through your advertising unless you're doing display like I described before with the remarketing. But even then, if you're doing display remarketing or Facebook remarketing, they'll still normally come to you directly anyway because they just become comfortable with who you are. Now, the last mistake that I wanted to cover is, and this one, I kind of tapped it on at the end, actually. Probably, it's, look, it's probably not the, the, as important as the other things, but I, as I was jotting down these notes, I thought, well, actually, this one's quite important. You don't want to have poor quality images that don't reflect the quality of your service. Now, this kind of comes down to branding a bit. And I'm not saying that you need to go out and spend thousands and thousands of dollars on revamping your website and having the, the latest of everything. No, you don't need to. But when it comes to your images, it's worthwhile putting a bit of care into them. If you're anything like, well, I shouldn't say myself because every now and then I have an artistic bent, but a lot of, them, a lot of the technical people that I work with, don't, I've got to admit, they don't have a technical bent, sorry, they don't have an artistic bent at all. They, they're they very good technically, but they're just, they just can't come up with images that are pretty. Now, if you're trying to do it yourself and your images look like they were created by a five-year-old, it doesn't reflect the quality of your service if you are a premium service provider. No, it does not especially if they are comparing you with other businesses that might be similarly priced but are more established, most likely their websites will be a bit more polished. So what can you do? Especially if you're starting out, you haven't really got a lot of budget for images. So you need to make sure that any pictures of yourself that on your website are professionally photographed. Honestly, it doesn't cost that much to get a professional photographer. They will make sure that you look nice. You don't want to take a picture of yourself from your wedding and stick that on your website. No, no, no. That's not going to be good. It just looks unprofessional. So make sure you've got a professional photograph of you. If, if you're a bit low on images, just use your photograph all over your website. Like no one ever gets sick of seeing your face. So you can put your photograph in your header. You can put it throughout your pages. You can just put your face everywhere. Hopefully you'll have more than one picture of you. So that's not exactly the same picture every time. but that's that's a very easy way to add more picture elements to your website without having to pay for them. Then you can use stock photography for sure, especially for things like the, you know, the the image at the top of a blog post, for example. Or you see a lot of stock photography there. Just try to make sure that any stock photography you're using is relevant for the page, and you're not just going for like the really tacky, cheesy looking things because that will reflect badly if you've got really cheesy looking stock photography all over your website. It, it kind of gives it a, yeah, just a, an unpolished look. It doesn't look like, it doesn't look cohesive. That's probably the right term. The better thing to do is to take the stock to photography and pay for someone on Fiverr or on Upwork or wherever it might be to create some templates for you. I use Canva. So let's say you get a professional, a professional graphic designer, ask them to create some templates for you on Canva that look really nice, that are on brand for you. They might, I don't know, it might cost you a couple of hundred dollars and you can, and ask them to put holes in the template for you to put your stock photography into and what that will do is it will transform the stock photography from being just a kind of yucky stock photography photo to part of a cohesive brand that someone sees when they land on your website. makes a huge difference. Also where possible if you have actual images that are Unique. That's that's good as well. But honestly, there's nothing wrong with stock photography. Just yeah, try to avoid the the really cheesy looking ones. So so what you can do, you can you can create lovely templates, and you can whip them up in five ten minutes. Just pop in your stock photography on kind of behind the template, in, and it f- goes into the holes, and you can create lovely com- cover images for your blog posts you can use those images throughout the website. Another really good one is if you're feeling like you just don't have enough good quality images, put testimonials from happy customers onto, just as a quote, onto an image and put those around your website. Something like that looks really professional. It looks sleek. You don't need to just fill your your website with cheesy looking images. So I guess the, the main... Moral of the story there is to avoid cheesy. All right, well that was the tips that I've got about landing pages. so there ends up being seven mistakes that you really want to avoid on your landing pages, especially if you're advertising, but really especially if you're doing digital marketing as your main strategy, do try to avoid doing those things because it will come back to bite you if you are Doing digital marketing is your main strategy and people are not liking your website. Let's put it that way. Certainly, if you're mainly doing networking, it doesn't matter as much. But, you know, try to avoid making these mistakes. A lot of them are really easy to fix.
1: A couple of years ago, I put out a survey asking people what topics they wanted us to cover on devchat.tv. And I got two overwhelming responses. One was from the JavaScript community. They wanted a React show. And the other one was from the Ruby community and they wanted an Elixir show. So we started both. The React show though is React Roundup. And every week we bring in people from the React community and we have conversations with them about React, about the community, about open source, about what goes into React, how to build React apps and what's going on and changing in the React community. So if you're looking to keep current on the current React ecosystem and what's going on in React, you definitely need to be checking out React Roundup. You can find it at reactroundup.com.
0: All right. Now I've been talking for a while, so I'm going to transition on. Now I mentioned, there was a couple of things I mentioned. One was share this and one was how to sell without selling, without Terry Dean. I'll make sure that the uh, links for those are at the end. And for my pick this week, I, I hope you don't mind, but I will pick a course that I've put together and it is a guaranteed step-by-step process for setting up Google Analytics and it includes checklist videos and workbook and essentially the purpose behind this is to be able to set up your Google Analytics properly. So one of the things I mentioned before was remarketing. Now if you are remarketing, I don't know if you know but by default Google Analytics gives you a 30-day remarketing list. Now most small kind of businesses like freelancers, for example, don't necessarily have a whole heap of traffic come within 30 days. And in order to use the remarketing list, you need to have at least 100 people on it. So the maximum amount of time that's available in a remarketing list is actually 540 days. So why they default to 30 days, I don't know. It's really frustrating. But one of the first things I always do when I'm setting up these things is change it to 540 days. But it's just things like that, things that you just wouldn't even know were in there by default, they can come back to bite you later. So, so this could just, just helps you get it all done. It's, it's basically a detailed checklist, but it's got videos as well. And you can get your, your Google Analytics all set up correctly and you can get on with your day. So I will provide the link for that. And what I'm offering with it is a 45 day free trial. So you don't get more much more generous than that. I've basically got it set up so that you can um you can sign up, you can use it, and if you don't like it, then I just won't charge you. So just give it a go. Alrighty. Well, I think that's pretty much it from me. Been really good to chat with you. hope you don't mind me just sharing all of my own thoughts rather than doing the usual interview and panelist style podcast today. But it's been really great to chat with you. And looking forward to going back to our regularly scheduled interviews next week. Bye.
1: Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN.